Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kaylin and from Brainwaves team today we have Kirsty. Uh, joining us today we also have Dr Paul Fern, a published poet and philosopher as well as author of the book Diary of a Schizophrenic. And today we're going to be talking about Paul's new book, Brim Bow, An Unheard Cry. Thanks again for coming on today, Paul. No, it's my pleasure. I thought I'd first ask um, if you could tell us a bit about your own story and how you started your work as an author. Well, I was having my first ever psychotic episode and just so happens I also thought I'd keep a diary at the same time. Um, So I wrote that text and then I put it aside for many years Um, and then I came to be finishing a PhD at La Trobe University And uh, thought, what am I going to do now? Um, and I thought writing. So I thought I would uh, send the book to some publishers. So I sent it to an Australian publisher and they rejected it, saying uh, that the author needs to be famous before before they publish stuff like that. Oh, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, not sure. So then I, I uh, submitted it to a publisher in London, Chipmunker Publishing, and um, they accepted it. Yeah. And then came about that the Melbourne Writers Festival accepted to launch it. And so I launched the book there and uh, and then I got on to Radio National as well, um, all at that time. So those, those, those were heady days. But what it, what it comes down to is my first act of uh, sustained literary writing was mm. for a diary I kept during a psychotic episode. Yeah. Okay, and what motivated you to write a book about Arthur Rimble? Um, after I had launched my book at the Melbourne Writers' Festival in 2010, um, I had a vision of the books that I wanted to write. Yeah. Um, so I, I wrote the book uh, Schizophrenic on Arto, and I wrote the book uh, Schizophrenic on Herdlin, mm. and I wrote the book uh, Schizophrenic to Stringberg in Unanswered Letter. Um, so those were all writers or poets or, or thinkers or, who had suffered from schizophrenia. Um, and I wrote books on them and that was a vision. And this time, uh, I think it was, the interview was replayed, um, uh, a fortnight ago, uh, I launched the diary of a schizophrenic mm-hmm. second edition. Um, so after that I had a similar vision yeah. Of the books I wanted to write, and I, I came, a, I had Rimbaud was the first one. He's a writer that I, I'd always had an affinity with. Mm. Um, but then there was Baudelaire and Mallarmé and uh, Paul Verlaine and Paul Valéry, all French 
poets living in the 19th century. Yeah. Um, so it's just one of those things. I just and so I, I just I just carry these things out. I just write, mm. write on these write on these authors yeah. because of a vision I've had a, to write books on them. So yeah. And is that what you're currently working on now? Books um, on those authors. Yeah, I'm up to Baudelaire. So I've written the Vogue books. I've been writing the Baudelaire book. Um, mm. I've been doing research for it. Okay. Brilliant. Can you tell us about Rimbaud's early life? Um, I understand that he had a difficult upbringing. Yeah, he had a very strict mother mm. um, who would do things like uh, withhold meal, some certain meals from him, possibly to motivate him. Yeah. Um, but it was something uh, that being strict on him probably made him the great artist that he was. Mm. Um, he was a child prodigy at that time. His Latin work um, won quite a number of awards, yeah. um, and in particular his Latin poetry. Um, so he he had it was a tumultuous time for Rimbaud his his childhood, but he. Uh, he was he was saying that something look listen to me i i can I can do this sort of thing mm. do you think a lot of great art does come out of like troubled times and suffering yeah we're we're going to talk about that a little bit here um I am of the opinion that a lot of a lot of the arts is a response to suffering mm. um, and this is what we get out of Rimbaud. Um, we Rimbaud, and I'll talk about it in a moment, but yeah. Rimbaud has an, a particular approach to suffering. Yeah. In some cases, he uses it, um, but he is responding to it. Um, so, and he, and he responds in a particular way, which makes him. Uh, maybe not unique, but makes him someone to take note of. Mm. Mm, I often wonder what these artists would do if they had these experiences but didn't have that outlet to like channel. Yeah, it'd be it would be hard. Um, we all we all suffer in in, in some way or another, um, whether small or large or in between or. We we all have to have some coping mechanisms, and mm-hmm. artists and poets just have. That's what they do. They 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 might. I know for me, when I suffer, when I'm suffering something day to day, um, when I'm writing a book, I will just I will write. Mm. And for me, I use that as motivation to to create my to create my writing, and I've, I've had some success at that. Mm. So. Um, it's you have to say you don't go out and pursue suffering, but if it, if it's there, why not use it for creative purposes? Yeah, yeah, brilliant advice. Hmm. So Rimbaud viewed mental suffering as a necessary component of his work and defined poetic creativity as derangement of all the senses that includes all forms of love, suffering, and madness. How did he put this philosophy into practice during his times in Paris? Um, there was a time, we'll come to speak a little more about his relationship with the poet Paul Verlaine. Mm. Um, 
But after a particularly um, difficult situation, they had a very tumultuous relationship. Um, and uh, at one point, Rimbaud became homeless and was selling uh, key rings by the side of the road. Mm. Yeah, so that was that was the suffering part of of his life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So we touched on this a little bit before about the necessity of suffering and chaos to art. What other views do you have on that? Um, uh, in particular to Rimbaud, what we find is an adventure, adventurous quality in, this, in response to suffering. Mm. So Valais, uh, uh, Rimbaud... Uh, gave up poetry quite early, and we'll come to that again soon. Mm. But he gave up poetry and became a merchant trader in Africa in nineteenth century Africa. Oh yeah. So that that move away from suffering to adventure mm. as a response, I think, is really valuable. To that that that's a valuable. Um, a valuable way to approach suffering if if you're a writer, if you're not a writer. But if in, in in terms of you can make your life an adventure mm. and in that way say something to your suffering and say maybe you won't have a hold on me as much. Yeah. Yeah, and it allows you to develop in other ways and led to this and that. Yeah. Mm. Um, tell us about Rimbaud's relationship with the poet Paul Verlaine. Um, Rimbaud grew up in the provinces of France, in mm. Charleville. And he, uh, at one point, said to one of, I think it was his teacher, one of his teachers, or his tutors, I think it was a teacher though, said, I want to be a poet, and expressed a real desire to want to be a poet. So the teacher said to him, look, why don't you write a letter to Paul Verlaine? Mm. Now, Verlaine was the preeminent poet of the day and he, he had established himself, not in the hegemony, but, but um, had he, he, there was a group of poets called the Panassians okay. and, um, and with Verlaine they were doing great things in poetry in, in Paris. So Rimbaud sent a letter with some, with a, an introductory letter with some of his poems to Verlaine, mm. and Verlaine was just over the moon that this is great. He's in, and immediately invited Rimbaud um, to come to Paris. Mm. So uh, Rimbaud did came to Paris, um, and he started his Paris adventure with with Verlaine. Um, there was a, a dinner in his honour. Um, and he uh he went from there they Verlaine and Rimbaud took a trip to England mm. and they tried to teach French to the English yeah um and they went to church services to learn how, learn the English language they translated their own poetry into English to try and grapple with the language so and it was uh though a very tumultuous relationship mm. um in what way? Lots of arguments and, um, but look, they, they 
they created uh, a body of work that is still revered today. Yeah. Mm. How was Rimbaud's sexuality viewed in 19th century society? Um, it was it was a difficulty. He was able to express himself and his sexuality to his um to his Bohemian associates. Mm. Um, so he had that that outlet. Um, but I think given. Uh, what was happening in other countries and other parts of the world? It was, it was, it was pretty. It was looked down upon in France as well. I'm sure. Mm. Mm. Did he discuss his sexuality in his work a lot? Um, no. Um, more so. More so with his acquaintances, he would he would talk about it, but. Um, he uh, he didn't write about it in his okay. work now. What sort of diagnosis may he have received if he was alive today? Um, I'm actually hoping none, because <laughs> <laughs> I've I've done a lot of work in mental health. Yeah. Um, and this has been really refreshing to write on someone who who probably didn't have a mental health condition. Mm. Um, there are many things that can be said about Rimbaud, but I don't. Th- I don't think mentally unwell is one of them. Um, he, yeah, he, um, yeah. Anyway, that, I think that's part of the reason why I've I've come across these writers to write about is that I'm I'm finally at a stage now where I can just sit back and relax a bit and, and talk and write about people who don't have mental health conditions. Mm. Um, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a good change for me. Um, I mean, it's, it's a good... The diary was launched in 2010 at the Melbourne Writers Festival. Yeah. Um, so that's nudging nine years now. Um, I've been, been writing about people with mental health conditions. Mm. And, and maybe it's time for a change. And yeah. Yeah. Just just go with the flow. Sounds good. Yeah. I know that Rimbo gave up poetry at 21. What do you think possibly accounted for that decision? Um, that was the dissolution of his relationship with Paul Verlaine. Oh, okay. uh, Verlaine held Rimbaud's career in his hand, yeah. um, so to speak. So once that relationship finished... Um, Rimbaud finished one thing and then wrote another thing and then he um, did some travelling and then he went to Africa. Mm. And on the topic of Africa, can you tell us about the time that Rimbaud spent in Africa and his letters from the time show a lot of suffering, it seems? Yeah, he uh, he went, went to Africa and was trading in various things. Um, but what, just to touch again on what I was talking about earlier, um, this is where the adventurousness of uh, of Rimbo's life comes in. Mm. 
you, you could imagine 19th century Africa was um, was a very difficult place to live. Yeah. Um, so Rimbaud, I think he, even at one point, I think he even published in one of the geographical society journals about mm. some of his some of his uh, his work he did in Africa. Um, but he, at that point, as soon as he set foot on an African soil, that was the point where his suffering became adventure. Okay. And that's what we see. That's what we see in in our eyes of him. Yeah. Um, How interesting. Mm. Hmm. Did he ever go back to poetry? No, never. Really. Yeah. What's What's the view on that? Is that like a tragedy or? Um, it's just part of his journey. Just part of his journey. It, it made it made him one of the greatest poems in world the world canon. Mm. Um, uh, and what you, you may wonder how many uh, how big his over was, how how many poems he had. And usually what happens is uh, in a book of Rimbaud, um, they publish not the complete works, but close to the complete works, and then publish a lot of his letters. Mm. And that comes up to a sizable volume. And, and then that's published as a, a, a book of selected prose, selected poetry and, and letters. Okay. Um, so because he, he wrote quite a bit at a very young age. Mm. Um we're going to talk about this. Uh, we should wait. I should, I'll wait till we get to it. But he, he his last his last writing act was was a really quite amazing one. Mm. <laughs> How was Rimbaud's mental state during his final days prior to his death from cancer? This is where I meant actually. So, yeah. <laughs> um, in his last few days, he composed an inventory of. Uh, for uh, consignment of imaginary goods. Mm. So pretty much his mind was still in Africa. And my initial response to that was, well, that's not really a considered literary end to a literary life. Mm. And you think of uh, Oscar Wilde who said, if these drapes don't go, I, I, I'll go, something like that. Mm. And that's, that's a considered literary thought to put that sort of at the end of your life. Yeah. Um, but I, then I thought about Rimbaud and his inventory. I thought, no, that is a work of literature in a sense. That's um, especially these days with a bit of postmodern flair. Mm. Um, maybe that is a work of literature that he's left us with. Um, yeah. End, end of a life and, um, and an inventory. Mm. Was his work recognised during his lifetime? Uh, yes, Paul Verlaine continued to write articles on Rimbaud. Mm. Um, so he he was known, and um, it was uh, funny. He um, at one point left a whole bunch of works at the printer, yeah, and just just left without paying for them. And um, so they were collected many, many, many years later. Ah. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. they'll, they'll just found. So, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Treasure. Yeah. <laughs> Have you found his poetry helpful in any way during your struggles with mental illness? Yeah. Um, not like... Um, not like reading Ato or Hurdlin or Strindberg, um, who had mental health conditions. What Rimbaud's suffering really rang true with me, mm. and um, I always, um, with a friend of mine, whenever I ask how he's been, I ask how what adventures he's been up to. Yeah, and. Uh, um, that's what I get from Rimbo. I get that that sense of we can have we can have an adventure. Yeah. Hmm. I find that really interesting. It's just it shows the just the power of perspective and how you can be in a certain circumstance and you can have a completely different experience of it to someone else who could be in that exact same circumstance. Yeah. Just by the way that you. Like, look at it and frame it in your mind. and Yeah. It's really powerful. Yeah. Mm. Do you have any favourite poems of Rimbo's that you'd recommend to our audience? Um, probably Illuminations. Mm. Um, a wonderful piece where it's fragmented, it's a bit dissonant, but the beauty shines through at various points and you sort of let the, the ideas come quite quick. Um, but you let them wash over you and you have, uh, yeah, you, you have a sense of beauty from the work. And that's the last thing he wrote. Mm. Um, so maybe he was saying something. Um, look, life can be beautiful too. Yeah. Um, you, that, it doesn't always have to be suffering and does doesn't always the fragmentation of this poetry doesn't have to be the thing is that overriding thing mm. uh, it can be moments that you see in amongst that which remind you of what is beautiful and what is great about life mm. um, that's a brilliant message yeah yeah so that's that's the the beauty of Rimbaud mm. um he has all these really difficult aspects to him, um, but when when you finally reach down and read some of not all the poems, but read some of the latter poems, maybe or the illuminations, you find beauty, mm. um, and maybe that's what it takes to find beauty in life as well. Yeah, um, definitely. Right, well, thank you for coming on today and chatting to us. Yes, thank you, Paul, for coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge with our listeners. Uh, you can find more of our shows on the website brainwaves.org.au or on the 3CR website 3cr.org.au or on iTunes. Feel free to send us feedback or suggestions for show via email at brainwaves at wellways.org. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.